Come on. Uh, well, how's everyone doing this morning? Few people are, are good. How anybody enjoying the snow yet? No laughter and one cheer. All right, I know who I can be friends with now. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the snow, but it is pretty. Uh, my wife and I, we have a, a one-year-old golden retriever, and there's just something so special about seeing a dog bound through the snow with just the joy written on their face. I'm like, I hate this, but you know, no big deal. Um, well, I'm excited this morning uh, because I have the opportunity to, to speak, and, and if I'm being honest and, and full disclosure here, I didn't know that I was speaking until 10 p.m. last night. So, and, and pair that with um, the, the over-the-ear mic wasn't working. I haven't preached with a handset in probably like three years. So we're going to see how this is going to go. Um, but basically, Martin, um, Pastor Martin, he was supposed to be speaking, part, bringing part eight of the Kingdom Evil series. Unfortunately, uh, he, he is feeling a little under the weather. It's nothing COVID-related. He's fine. There's no problems there. He's just at home resting and, and getting better. Um, so, so he texted me last night at, at 10 p.m. And he's like, hey, what, what do you think we should do? Like, do you want to speak? Do you want to ask Dan to speak? And I'm like, oh, I really don't want to speak. Because I was already in bed, full disclosure. I was already in bed. I was ready to turn off the lights and go to sleep. Um, but, but something was pressing on my heart, like, no, 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 you, you say yes. Say yes. And I was like, okay, okay. I got this, I got, I got this, and I don't know if I've ever had an experience where I've regretted a decision faster than last night at 10 p.m. I said, yeah, Martin, I'll preach, I got this. And I'm excited because we're, we're going through this, this Kingdom People series, you know, and we're kind of going off track for that for a second, but... But, you know, I think part of being a kingdom person, part of being a follower of Jesus, part of being a disciple of Jesus, means that sometimes we're going to have to make decisions that we'll regret in following God. That sometimes, I think, in the midst of being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, in the midst of that, we can find ourselves in situations and places where following Jesus isn't easy. It's not the easy solution. It's not what we want to do. It's, it's the right decision. We're making the right choice. We're, we're doing the right thing. But, but, but as soon as you make that decision, oh, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to obey what God is calling me to do. You immediately face an obstacle and then comes the regret. And you know, if I'm being honest, this is exactly where I found myself last night. Especially at 11 p.m., I'd been up for an hour. I'd spent a bunch of it praying and worshiping, being like, God, what do you want me to say? And 11 p.m., I had a blank sheet, sheet of paper. I was like, God, what do you want me to say? I can't figure this out in the morning. And, and he's like, just go to sleep. Just go to bed. I'm like, like, I'm regretting this. I'm regretting this because I said yes knowing it was the right thing to do, but 
But I'm regretting this because I was feeling that, that regret, that anxiety, and that stress. Just wondering, how on earth am I going to pull this off? So, you know, I want to start us off this morning with a, with a passage of scripture, a story out of Exodus 14 about a group of people that facing kind of a similar situation. It's, and so it says, verse 10, as Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. So we'll pause there for a second because some of you are probably wondering what on earth is going on. Because I just picked a random verse out of the Bible and threw it at you, and you're wondering, where is this coming from? So some backstory back here is just so we're all on the same page. Basically, what's happened in this moment is for Israel, the people of Israel had been enslaved to Egypt for several hundred years. In slavery. Hundreds of years in slavery. No big deal. Um, and, and finally... This dude named Moses, he comes along and God calls him to set Israel free. And he goes and he talks to Pharaoh. And eventually, after a little bit of convincing through um, all kinds of horrible things happening to the nation of Egypt, um, the Pharaoh says, sure, you can go. And and Moses, he takes his people out of slavery. And uh, they're walking on the way to this land that God has promised to give them. And as they're on the way, they come to the sea. And traditionally, we call it the Red Sea. See, but they come to the sea and they're camped there. And as they're camped there, they see, they look up, they look back. And there were the Egyptians advancing on them. It says, in great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, I find that interesting. They cry out to the Lord and then they say to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness, like the gratitude they're showing. Thank you, Moses, for taking us out of slavery. This is great. Why did you do this, Moses? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not the very thing we told you? Um, is it not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And in this moment, Israel is in a very tough place. Because you see, they're in that place where they have followed the command of God. They have followed the call of God on their life. But they, and they are headed towards the promised land. They're headed towards the promise that God has for them. Now that the rubber has hit the road and they've come across an obstacle, they regret their choices. They'd just been set free from hundreds of years of slavery, but instead of joy, they had regret. They were headed towards this incredible land that God had promised them. Their own land, their own country, where they would be free. They could have families. They could have homes. They, they wouldn't have to serve under a tyrannical government. But instead of looking forward to the promise, they had regret. Because, you know, I think it's easy for us to, to follow God and And to be excited about being a part of God's kingdom. To be excited about being a kingdom person. When there's no problems. There's no oppositions. But, you know, when life gets tough and when we can't do it on our own anymore. When we don't see a way out of our current problems. It it can be easy to be overwhelmed by regret and, and to want to just give up. 
So I want to preach to you guys this morning on this idea of the anxiety, the stress, and the regret that we all will experience at some point in our walk with Christ. And I've called this message, Regretting the Promise. Regretting the Promise. Father God, I just pray over your people, Lord. Give me the words to say. Let me be your mouthpiece, God, that, that what you need your people to hear, that you will speak it to them, God. Lord, I just pray that you'll give us all ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us, that we may leave this place different and transformed because of your word. I pray this in your name. Amen. Regretting the promise. I don't know about you, but I've made a number of promises in my life that I've come to regret. Anyone with me? Promises that you've come to regret? And sometimes it's even promises that I immediately came to regret. And, and fortunately for me, I'll, I'll say it, it's never really been a big thing that I can remember, but it's always like the small promises that I make that I'm like, oh, why did I do this? It's like um, this past week, uh, our dog had been a little bit sick, and so I came home from work, and there was puke on the floor. And I was like, okay, I'm going to clean it up. So I cleaned it up and used paper towel, and I threw it in our organic spin. And then my wife came home, and she looked in an organic spin, and it was full. And she's like, hey, honey, can you take out the organics? Pretty reasonable request. But, you know, I was, I was sitting on the couch. I was relaxing. I was comfy. I was like, sure, yeah, I'll do it. And immediately I regretted it because I was like, I don't want to get up off the couch. And I'll be honest, it took me 24 hours to take out the organics. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I immediately regretted the promise. Or I know many times where I've promised to, to show up to some like, get-together that a friend is having. And I'm not going to get specific because I, I don't want to hurt people's feelings or, or whatnot. But, but I remember a number of times where, where people invited me to, to get together or something. And at, at the time, I was excited about it. I was like, yeah, I'm, go I'm totally down. I'm so excited for that. But then the day came, and it was a Saturday. And I'm like, oh, I've just had a long week. I really don't want to do this. But because I promised, I showed up regretting the promise. And, you know, those are really just... Some silly examples of how I've regretted some promises I've made in my life, but but you know, in reality, it's really those silly little things, those silly little promises that that we make. It's it's like promising to help a friend move. I don't know about you, but I don't like moving myself. I especially don't like moving other people. And there's been times where I've promised and I've helped a friend move and. As soon as I promised, I've regretted that promise. Or, and, and this doesn't apply to me um, specifically, but, but or I, I've seen it numerous times in different couples and different families where two people will make a vow, they'll make a promise to always love one another. And they make that promise before friends, before God, and then life gets tough. And Johnny is not the same man that you fell in love with. And Susan, well, I, no, she, she must have changed. And, and suddenly that promise that you made in marriage, you come to regret it. And, you know, I could go on listing examples, but 
I ran out of time to write them down. Um, but the idea is that I think it's easy for us when, when we make a promise to immediately regret that promise. It's, it's only human because something better pops up. Something different pops up. Something we want to do more pops up. And we'd rather not keep that promise since that regret of the promise. But you know, the nice thing about God is that God, when God speaks a promise, it's done. When God speaks a promise, he will do it. There's no regret. What God promises, he will do. So when God promises in, in Deuteronomy 31.8 to never leave you nor forsake you, that's not a oh, well, I guess I'll hang out with you until life gets tough, and ooh, you got in a car accident. I'm sorry, I got a dip. No, God's like, hey, guess what? You can't get rid of me. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Or, or when God promises in Romans 8, 38, that he will love us no matter what. That's not like a boyfriend saying, I love you to the moon and back forever and ever and ever, and then he breaks your heart. That's God saying, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what others do. It doesn't matter what happens in the world. You can't escape my love. Period. Or when God promises in Psalm 91 to rescue you from every hidden trap of the enemy, to protect you from false accusations, to wrap his arms around you, to keep you from harm so that you will never have to worry or be afraid about anything, that if you just come to him, he will shield you from every evil thing. That's not just a half-hearted statement of God saying, I'll help you out if you really need my help, but you're going to have to call me like five times and maybe text me a couple times and say, urgent, respond to the phone. No, no, no. God's saying, I will support you. If you come to me, I will support you with this full might of heaven. I'm there for you. And so when we are following Jesus, when we are obeying God's call for our life, it doesn't matter what opposition, doesn't matter what problem comes against us. We can know that God has our backs. Why? Because God has promised that he would do it. And it says in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 10.23, God always keeps his promises. But you know, often I think the struggle that we face is that sometimes in our lives we, we go through situations when we're following God and when we're walking and we're doing what God has called us to do. Sometimes we'll come into situations where there are problems and the situations aren't really pleasant. Or we go through trials where, you know, we, we have problems, we have stressful jobs, we have to deal with coworkers that we don't like. Uh, I'm blessed to have the best coworkers in the world, just shout out. But, but, but I know there's situations, you, you have to deal with bad coworkers, or, 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 or you, you have to deal with unrealistic expectations, you have to face sickness or disease or a pandemic that just stretches on and on and on and on and on, or anxiety or mental health or, or all kinds of problems. And in the face of these things, I think it can be all too easy for us to lose focus on the promises of God. So you see, one promise that I wish it was in the Bible, but it's not. One promise that God never makes is that our life will be easy. In fact, Jesus promises the opposite. In, in John 16, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Thank you, Jesus. In this world, you'll have trouble. You'll face persecution. You'll have problems. But take courage, for I have conquered 
the world. And you know, when we're following God, and when we're doing what God has called us to do, when we're listening to his voice and obeying him and following him, and we encounter an obstacle, I think it's easy for us to regret our decisions, to regret listening to God, to regret everything that brought us to that promise, everything that led us to follow God, to regret following the promises that God has given us. Now, flipping back to Exodus 14, in this story, we, we really find Israel has come to this place of regrets. And as I mentioned earlier, the, the backstory of this is, is really that Israel, for, for several hundred years, had been in slavery to the Egyptians. They, they'd really been, they'd been forced into back-breaking back labor. They'd been forced to make bricks without straw, which is a key ingredient to bricks, apparently. Um, but they'd been forced to make bricks without straw because, oh, well, Israelites are just, they're so soft. They'd been ordered to put any male children to death. And they'd been stripped of their dignity and power under an oppressive regime. And, and finally, along comes Moses. And the story of Moses is fascinating because he's born an Israelite. He's born a Hebrew. And he's born during a time where the king has ordered that all the male children are to be put to, put to death. But his mother and his father are like, no, 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 we're going to hide him. And then after a couple of months, they're like, we can't hide him anymore. So they put him in, a, in this little boat of reeds and send him down the Nile. And, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And he's raised in the palace. And, and then he, 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 he's in the palace, but he remembers his people. And he doesn't want to forget his people. And so he goes and he sees an Egyptian is beating an Israelite. And he's like, I'm going to protect my people. And so he kills the Egyptian, you know, a um, bit of an overreaction for him. And then he hides the body. And, and, and he, next day he goes and he sees two of his people fighting and he's like guys 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 why are you fighting and they're like oh are you gonna kill us like you killed that egyptian and moses he he runs into the wilderness and he disappears and he he has a family and and finally god comes to him in a burning bush and he gives him this call says he tells him you will that i'm going to use you to set my people free and he gives him this promise in Exodus 3, 8, where he says, I have come, God says to him, I have come down to deliver my people from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. But I can really relate to Moses because God's like, hey, you're going to set my people free. And Moses is like, <laughs> find someone else. And I'm not going to dive into that story, but, but if you're in a place where, where you feel like God's calling you to do something, and you're like, God, no. Read the story of Moses. It's really, really good. But, but basically, Moses, he finally obeys. And he goes to the Pharaoh, to the king of Egypt, and he says, let Israel go. And Pharaoh's like, no. So Moses, through the power of God, he brings 10 plagues against the Egyptians. He turns their water to blood. He covers their land in frogs and gnats and flies. He kills off their livestock. Uh, he infects the people with boils. He destroys their crops with hail and locusts. He blocks out the sun. Before finally an angel of the Lord comes and kills the firstborn child of every Egyptian. And finally, after this point, Pharaoh has had enough and he's like, okay, just leave. And what's really cool in the story is that as Israel is leaving, it says that they plundered the Egyptians' houses. So they, were, they went in. They're like, okay, we're no longer slaves, so I'm just going to go into your house. And, ooh, that's a pretty vase. I'm going to take that. And so they go, and they take all this stuff with them. 
And finally, they are leaving. Finally, they're going to pursue this promise that God had given them, this promise of a promised land, a land that is uh, flowing with milk and honey. They're free. They begin to head to the promise, but as they're camped by the sea, Exodus 14 says, they looked up and there were their Egyptians advancing on them. With great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Moses, I, I know God told you to set us free from slavery, but freedom sucks. I know God promised to bring us to a good land, but Moses, there's the sea in the way. There's the sea in the way, and we can't escape. Now Egypt's coming to kill us. Moses, why did you listen to God? He should have left us in slavery. You know, I think it's easy for us to judge them because it's like, <laughs> you would rather be forced to build buildings for Egyptians, build bricks without the ingredients, and, and be forced and whipped and beaten than to be free and facing an obstacle. But, you know, if I, I think if, if we're being honest with ourselves, I think many of us have that same mindset where God is bringing you to something new to a new level, to a new place, to, to, to a new chapter in your life, a new job, a new relationship, a new city, a new family member, a new level of spiritual authority. And now that you've realized that it's not going to be, ooh, I'm at point A and I'm going to go to point B. Ooh, that was easy. That's great. Now that you've realized that there's going to be problems and it's not going to be easy, it's e you, you look back and regret at what you left. God, why did I ever take this job? Why, God, why did I ever decide to have this kid? God, why did I leave, ever leave my hometown? Life was so much easier before. And God's just like, you were in slavery. Are you kidding me? You were in slavery. You were stuck. There was nothing more for you there. And I'm trying to bring you to something better. And you're looking back at what you lost. But even though he promised to make you the CEO of a company, because you're working in the mailroom, you want to go back. You want to go back. God, you told me I should date this person, that they'd be my spouse, but they're clearly not ready for marriage, so I'm just going to have to dump them. I'm just going to go back. God, you put this desire in me to have a kid and, and showed me all the joys and the, how they bring joy to my life, but all they're bringing is poopy diapers and attitude. I want to go back. Can I return them? God, you told me I'd be running my own business. I'd be doing all this crazy stuff for you, but I'm still driving for Skip. I just want to go back. And we get stuck in an obstacle that makes us regret even following God. And you know, if I'm honest, this is exactly where I was last night at 11 p.m. when I was working on this message and had nothing on the sheet of paper. I was like, come on, God. Really? You told me to do this and you're not giving me anything? Really? Come on, God. Oh, you just want me to go to bed? God, come on. 
the regret because of the obstacle, because we see the promise on the other side of the obstacle, but we see our freedom across the sea, but there's an army coming up behind us and there's an obstacle in the way and we don't know how to get across. We're stuck on the wrong side of the obstacle. We don't know how to get to the promise, so we regret the promise. And Israel in this moment, they've, they've quickly come to regret the promise because they're stuck on the edge of a sea they cannot cross. They have the enemy behind them, a promise ahead of them, but a sea in front of them. Their past, slavery, is chasing after them. Their future, freedom, is ahead of them, but in front of them is a sea. They want to be here. They want to be over here, standing in the promise, but they're way over here, and there's an ocean in the way. And they're like, how am I going to get across? How am I going to escape? How am I going to overcome this? I have no way of crossing this obstacle. I can't do it. So what they do is they complain. I don't know if anyone else can relate to that. It's easy to complain when life gets tough. And in Israel, they complain. And after they finish this whole speech about how Moses is bad, what he did was bad, and, and they, would still be, they would rather still be chilling out in Egypt as slaves. Then Moses responds, and he says this. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm. And see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you, only, and you have only to keep still. I love that little passage because... In my reading of this passage, I have no idea where Moses came up with this. It's like, God will fight for you. But God didn't actually tell him he was going to fight for him. There's this faith that Moses has. And, and then it says the next verse. But then the Lord said to Moses, and I love this. Because this just shatters a lot of boxes people have about God, about how he's just lovey-dovey. God says to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. All right, let's recap here for a second. So Israel has been in slavery. Now they're free. They're on the edge of a sea. And Egypt is coming after them to enslave them. They have no way to cross the sea. Otherwise, they would have done it. They don't have boats. They don't have a way. They're not going to swim because, you know, that's a long way to swim, and that's a lot of people to swim across. And, and they're running out of options, and, and God says, well, why are you crying out to me? Just go forward. Um, thank you, God. Thanks, uh, God. Uh, just FYI, um... <clears throat> I know you're all powerful and I know you're great and I know that you see everything that's going on and that you love me and that you see what's going on in my life and that you care about me. But uh, just an FYI, in case you might have missed this, I know you've got a lot going on in your life, God, that there's a lot of people to focus on. But just in case you missed this, we're in front of an ocean and you didn't give us boats. God, I get it. You're calling us to go forward. You're calling us to go to the promise, but the obstacle in front of us is too big. We can't overcome it on our own. You know, so often I think that God allows us to be 
to find ourselves in situations like this, situations where we don't have a way out, situations where we don't have an answer, where we, we can't do it on our own, simply because he wants to teach us to trust him. Because, you know, it can be so easy for us to have our own plans and backup plans and backups to our backup plans that, that as we start to walk towards the promise that God has given us, instead of relying on him, we can start to rely on our own skills, our own expertise, our own plans, instead of relying on God. You know, if I can be real with you guys for a second, I've been running a group this fall with our gateway groups. We're running through a course called Freedom. And, and one of the things that I've really gotten out of this was that God told me, God revealed through this course that for a while now, I'd gotten so good at doing things on my own that I'd stopped relying on him. That when it came to my career, my family, my, my life, I, I'd been putting my trust in budget spreadsheets and in my backup plans and, and in my, my savings and safety nets. And I was relying on my own strength and, instead of his. And, and you see the danger of relying on your own strength is that you are then limited by your own capacity. You can do a lot on your own. You can accomplish a lot on your own. But God has more for you than you can ever even realize or imagine. And if you rely on your own strength, you're not even going to see a, a small portion of that. And so God revealed this to me. And so I, I prayed a, a very dangerous prayer. Very dangerous prayer. I, I warned my wife first. I'm like, dear, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to pray this prayer. She's like, oh boy. Um, but I prayed, God, teach me to give you control over everything in my life. Teach me to give you full control of my life. And let me tell you, it has sucked. It's not been easy. A couple days after I prayed that, we had been having issues with our heating system in our house. And so we had a, a guy out at our house for about 12 hours or so, um, trying to fix it, couldn't fix it. Came back on Monday, tried to fix it, couldn't fix it. And suddenly we got saddled with this massive bill to replace our heating system, which you know, if you don't want to freeze in our winters, you, you need, right? So we got saddled with this massive bill right after praying this prayer. And, and right at this time too, my wife and I, we'd been praying about, about the vision offering and asking God, how much should we be giving? How much should we give over and above our regular tithe? God, how much are you calling us to offer to you? And God gave us a number and, and I was like, God, we have this big number and this big number and together that makes a way too big number. My God, I, I can't do this. But we decided to trust him. Because I knew that God was teaching me something. I knew that God was teaching me something. When I got the text last night about preaching this morning, I was like, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this. I usually start preparing for a message on a Sunday two weeks before I preach it. God's like, I got you. I got you. We have to make that decision that 
No matter what happens, we're going to trust God, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it seems stupid to us, we're going to tell God you're in control. So God says to Moses, tell the Israelites to go forward. But you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on the right and on their left, and suddenly, in an instant, through a miracle that none of them could have done, God made a way through their obstacle. You know, they were so worried about their obstacle. They're so worried about their problem, their situation, that they'd miss the fact that God wasn't concerned about a little water. See, God is not concerned about how dire your financial situation might look. God's not concerned if you're like, I see you calling me to that, but I have no way of getting there. I don't know how to get there. He's not concerned about that. God's not concerned when there's an obstacle. And, and let me be very clear. I'm not saying that God doesn't care about those things because God cares about every aspect of your being, every minute detail of who you are. He cares about it more than you could ever realize. But what I'm saying is God is not worried about your obstacle. He's not staying up at night thinking, oh no, how are they going to get across the Red Sea? Those things don't worry him. And if those things don't worry the God of the universe, maybe they shouldn't worry us. See, because the reality is, in your walk with Christ, you will face problems. That's what Jesus told us. In this world, you will have trouble. You will face problems. You will face obstacles. You will face your own Red Sea moments. Moments where you're following God and you're trying to do what he's calling you to do, but you don't see a way out. Where you can't see where God, what God has promised you and you don't know how to get there. But the question that God sent me to ask you this morning is this. Will you choose to trust him in the process? Will you choose to trust him when it's easy and when it's hard? Or will you be like Israel, choosing to complain when there's an obstacle in their way? And then when God made a way through the sea, they kept heading towards the promise and, and then they started to complain again because, well, God, the food out here isn't as good as in Egypt. So God makes bread rain from heaven. All right. They're like, we should go back to Egypt because the food was so good. Yeah, that's great. Go back to your slavery for better food. They complained and God made a way and, and then they come to the promised land. And this is the saddest part of the story because they come to the promised land and they sent spies into the land to see it. And the spies come back and they say, the land is great, the land is beautiful, but the people that are in there, they're going to kill us all. They start to complain and, and through this process, what actually happens was they were prohibited from receiving the blessing that God had for them. 
See, we all have a choice when facing an obstacle on our way to the promise. We can go back to where we came from. But if you go back, don't expect God to be using you there. He's already called you out of it. He has something better for you. If you go back and you stay where you're comfortable, that's great. He will let you do that. But you're going to be missing what he's calling you to. We also have the option of, of staying camping at the Red Sea. Oh, the sea's too big. Let's not cross. Let's just camp here and build our city here. Oh, that's great. You've received part of what God promised, but not everything. Or we can go forward. We can choose to trust that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Choose to trust that God will always provide for us and he will bless us with every blessing in abundance that we do not need to worry about anything because he will make a way for us. You know, I think it's so easy for us to worry to the point that Jesus actually in Matthew 6, he, the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to his disciples in this crowd and he says, do not worry about anything, about your life, what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Consider the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor store in barns, yet your father feeds them. How much more important than they are you? We, get a, we have this opportunity to trust God no matter what. And you see, I don't know what situation you may be facing or what struggle you might have encountered or, or even what promise God might have given you. I don't know. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I feel like I haven't gotten anything from God. Usually that's because you've stayed where you were called, uh, you've stayed in a place where you've been called to leave. I don't know your situation, but, but I just know this, that if God has called you to something, he will not neglect you in the wilderness to die. I heard one pastor put it this way, God never calls the equipped, but he equips the called. So if he's calling you to something, he will make a way for it to happen. All you have to do is just keep moving forward and trusting that he will fulfill what he has promised. So we're going to close in a moment, but before we do, if I can get all of you to sound, stand together right now. I don't have anything profound to say or any specific application for you to take home, but but I just want to challenge you in this. Will you trust God? Will you trust God? It's all it takes is trust. Trust that he is good. He's not leading you into a trap. He is good. He's there for you. Trust that if he's called you to something, he will prepare you for it. He will make a way to it. All you have to do is keep moving forward. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray over your people right now, Lord. Let us be a people who fully trust you. God, let us be a people where when you call us to something, we don't hesitate. We don't say, God, I don't know. I don't know if that's right for me. But we say, God, I'm in.
I'm in. You call me to give, I'm in. You call me to serve, I'm in. You call me to go somewhere else, I'm in because I trust you no matter what. God, help us to fully trust you to pursue the promises you've given us and to not regret those promises when we face a struggle, but to trust that no matter what comes against us, that no weapon formed against us shall prevail, for you are with us. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you.